Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If you'd turned around to that marketeer that made that choice and said, why did you do this? They would have said it with the best of intentions that, you know, we were trying to save the company costs. It seemed like a good idea, but they hadn't thought through the implications of their decision. So don't just think about the revenue that you're going to get in for the next year from that one customer, but think of the revenue that you would have got in from that customer for the next 20 years. It was a small change, but it's an example of making the experience better for the customer. There was less uncertainty in the customer's part. They knew exactly what they were going to expect. And then simultaneously also reducing the cost to the company. Don't forget to download the one-page podcast summary, which highlights the key takeaways and the recommended actions. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. We hope it's of use. So Ryan, with all of the pandemic and everything else that's happening at the moment. And- oh, I haven't heard about that, Colin. Uh, you oh, you haven't? Me- no. You want to give me an update? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, apparently please. there's this there's this virus going around that's slightly affecting people. Yeah. But um, yeah. Well, as a cloistered academic, someday I will venture outside of my office, and um, <laughs> that'll be something to learn about at that point. But you've been actually teaching people online, so I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> <laughs> or whether you were just doing it automatically. L- or something less like that. contact with human beings can only improve my life and probably the lives <laughs> of other people too. So. I'm sorry, you you were telling a story about the world burning down and I interrupted you. That's all right, I'll just get back onto my train of thought now, that'll be fine, don't worry about me. So we're going to be talking about how to reduce your costs, so the five rules of reducing costs. And the reason we're doing that is because of the pandemic and because everybody's obviously going into meltdown into what they can do and how can they reduce costs and everything else. So we're going to go through five key rules that we both think will be good for people to use when going through the pandemic and reducing your costs. But to be honest with you, this is just a formula for reducing your costs generally. Which is always a concern. It's especially relevant now during tough financial times, but businesses are always looking to reduce costs. So, Yeah. And if you're not looking to reduce costs, that's absolutely great. Just put this to one side for 10 years and then come back to it in 10 years time when we're going through the next recession. At some point you will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's start by talking about the first one. So the first rule is that there is no silver bullet. Okay. And what we mean by that is all too often I talk to clients who say we need to reduce costs. We need a big idea. Yeah. We need the one thing that we can do. Should we cut call centers? Should we move offshore? Should we, whatever it may be, 
thinking that there is one thing that you can do to improve things. The single dramatic action. Yeah. And people love that, don't they? I mean, they love the dramatic action in the in the sense. But in my experience, and I've been through a number of cost cutting measures over my over my lifetime with different organizations, it's a number of things that you have to look at, which is I think the key. Yeah. Yeah. And it I mean, it, not always, but a lot of times a five percent reduction across a number of different areas is also going to be less painful and less traumatic than a single 20 or 25 percent cut by making one large change to one large area but you're right somehow it's we feel the need for large actions when we want a large change you see this a lot in public policy too there's an, an economics blogger that i like to read she calls this the the big pot of money argument. So, you know, you want to reduce the cost of healthcare. Well, let's let's look for the big pot of money that's hidden somewhere in these organizations so we can rip it up. And to your point that those big pots of money just don't exist. It's usually going to be a lot of smaller things. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a good example. And the other thing I would add to it is think laterally. Mm. I always remember when I was working in corporate life, my last role was with a telecommunications company in the UK. I don't know why I'm saying telecommunications companies, like I'm protecting them. This was 20 years ago, so I guess I can say (laughs) it was British Telecom, but it was 20 years ago. We were looking at reducing costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the key things that I, I discovered was that you need to look across laterally at things. So when we were saying, okay, putting together a case for reducing the costs in one area typically we would just look at the headcount costs how much is that going to save but what we didn't look at until we started to look at more laterally was well what was the recruitment costs what was the advertising cost what were the training costs that we would save so in other words it's not just the salary each month that you would be saving it's all of those other costs that were in the system And when you start to pull all those together, what we discovered was clearly it was a much bigger number. And therefore, if your target was to achieve X amount of saving, by looking across all of those areas, you could pull in that type of saving. So I think thinking laterally is another key one. Okay, number two, do you want to deal with this one? Yeah, I think that your uh, lateral thinking example at a telecoms company, which shall not be named. Um, <laughs> is, and I'm sure BT appreciates your discretion, Colin. You are. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah. It's always this nagging thought in the back <laughs> of my mind that I was with them for 18 years. So it made me, you know, you still have some affinity to them. Basically. No, I, I, I think that's, that's a good instinct to have. You know, we want to protect our clients and our former employers. But your example is a good one for the second key point, the second rule which is not to overemphasize the easily measured costs when you are looking to cut costs. Some things appear very clearly on balance sheets and on income statements and on financial records, and other costs are more hidden. And something like a recruitment cost, depending on how closely you track these things, could be a hidden cost. And so, for example, by making changes that that save you some money in the short term, you could incur by accident, many more 
recruitment costs as a result. And so your overall savings might be smaller. Or if you take full account of them, as you, you did in your story, you could realize that you can make less disruptive changes while saving a lot more money by taking full account of the cost. So we motivate this by this great quote from Albert Einstein. He said, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts, which is a great quote that I pulled off the internet from Albert Einstein. So he may or may not actually have said it, but uh, he was a smart guy. So let's attribute it to him. And it's, it is wise. It's a bit of wisdom regardless of who said it. I didn't know the internet was around when he was there. Yeah, I mean, he invented the internet. That? Yeah, back in 1820. <laughs> I don't it's a great quote regardless of who said it. And I, I have seen it attributed to him. Good. I would build on that comment around... If you think of the example I just used, which was not just looking at the salary, you know, which would be under your budget. If you think of, say, like recruitment costs or training costs, they could be under HR's budget. Yep. You shouldn't be just looking at this from a siloed perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You should be looking at the costs. I mean, if you start to think about it again, the costs of IT, if you're reducing those costs, then you need less computers for people to use. You need less costs for stationary and all those other things mind you saying the word stationary probably shows my age now as well <laughs> stationary oh you're talking about like desks that don't have treadmills on them so they're stationary desks right? yeah yeah that's it okay the third one and and probably my favorite one is around balance okay so the third rule you've got to balance the approach okay what I mean by that is, personally, I've never been involved in a customer experience program that has not ended up saving costs. And why is that the case? Well, because when you are producing a or providing a poor customer experience, invariably, there are two form of costs that you're losing. Okay. One is there's a lot of overlap, okay, mm -hmm. that's causing that poor experience, or B, there's a sort of a lost opportunity cost. So let me give you a couple of examples on this. I was running a workshop for a client in the mobile communications market, and they had said, and this actually makes it even more interesting, this one. He basically, this was a VP of customer service, and he was late to the workshop, so we'd started without him. Anyway, he, he came in after about an hour, and I said to him, what's the problem? Because he looked a bit fraught. And he said one of the marketing teams had decided to reduce their costs by bundling a mailer that was going out to all their customers, but bundling it all together. So rather than sending out in batches... I don't know, 100,000 today, 100,000 tomorrow, whatever it may be, that they decided that they would send out all half a million all at once, okay? Okay. And that had caused the call center to get into meltdown. Because oh, because everybody was responding at all at the same time. So A, the call center was melting down. B, customers were then getting really upset about uh, the fact that they couldn't get through, that was causing loads of people to write on Twitter <laughs> and blah, 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 which was then causing them to be able to go and respond to it. I guess the key part but here hey, is... I, I'm sure they saved several pennies per hundred <laughs> mailers by sending yes. them in bulk. So yes. Yes. Come, on, come on, Colin. And the key here is 
unintended consequences. Yes. yes. Yeah. If you turn around to that marketeer that made that choice and said, why did you do this? They would have said it with the best of intentions. Oh, yeah. that, you know, we were trying to save the company costs. You know, it seemed like a good idea. But they hadn't thought through the implications of their decision. Yeah, it was very siloed thinking. For that one decision, that was the right decision, right? We can save money on mail costs by doing it that way. That was optimized within that very, very narrow frame. But to your point, if you back out from that silo at all, no, it's a great story. Like, <laughs> it's, it's one of those stories where, like, the donkey kicks the bucket and then chain of events and then the city ends up burning down. Like, yeah, let's save some money on mail costs. And to be honest with you, that's what we find all the time with our clients is I, I have to say that some of it is so obvious, but you talk about the donkey. The trouble is that organizations have blinders on and they don't realize the mistakes that they are making. And sometimes it takes somebody from outside to come in and go. In fact, I always like saying to our clients that, you know, we get to say that your baby's ugly. You can actually point out the things and the errors that they've got. Uh, another example of this is I was talking to a client. Maybe there's a trend here, but again, this senior guy was late coming into a meeting. This was actually a water water utility. Maybe they just don't want to talk to me. I don't know. He walked through the door and we sat down and we started to have a chat. And he said, sorry, I'm late. He said, I've just been reviewing a customer complaint. Okay. I said, all right, that's interesting. Uh, what was the complaint about? And he basically told us what the complaint was about. And I said, well, what's the process then for dealing with a complaint? And he said, well, it goes into, typically it comes through the call center, then that person reviews it, and then they try to deal with it, and they pass it over to the complaints team, and the complaint team have a look at it. And then if the customer doesn't accept what they've given them, then it goes up and it goes up. Anyway, I won't bore you the whole story. But the long and short of it is he said, so I've just been into a meeting where there were 10 other senior people like himself. The meeting lasted an hour and a half where they were discussing this case. And I said, how much was the complaint for? And the guy said, oh, about $1,500. And I said, the meeting that you just had cost more than the $1,500, let alone everything else that happened before that. So, again, what's the point I'm making? They could have resolved that complaint at the first call with the customer, mm -hmm. and all the stats will tell you that customers, when you deal with a complaint and the customer's happy with it, A, they become more loyal, and B, they will accept a far lesser payment than if you need to give them some form of compensation. They will expect far less at the beginning if you deal with them well at the beginning than if you let them wait four months and put them through a tortuous process. So to your point of balance, that, that would have been an action that would both, in the long run, save the company money because they wouldn't be incurring all these costs of dealing with it and make the customer happier. Yes, absolutely. But again, part of it sort of shows the mentality of the organization, which is assuming that the customer is trying to screw you in some way. Yeah. The other part of it for me is, again, when we start to look at costs, yeah, is not thinking through the costs of that process. So again, the irony is, if that organization now reverted to empowering the frontline people to make decisions, so Ritz-Colton, for example, 
give their people up to two and a half thousand dollars to compensate a guest and this is anybody yeah so if you're walking down a ritz Carlton corridor and you snag your jacket then the cleaner can say okay go and get it replaced and we'll pay for it yeah if you did something like that that will actually reduce your cost so a the point of balance is a you can improve your experience giving the better experience for the customer and b you can save costs at the same time. And that's the key for this rule, is don't think that just by reducing your costs or the only way to reduce your costs is to stop doing something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It could be the process or the experience that you have that you've designed that you could actually improve and improve your experience and you can save money at the same time. Does that make sense? It's a great point. And there's a book that we can recommend that's really built around this point of looking for opportunities to reduce costs and simultaneously increase the value to the customer, increase the benefit to the customer. It's called Blue Ocean Strategies. I believe it's by Kim and Melbourne. And it's a great book. It's got lots of, of great examples of, of doing this. And it's, it's kind of a, a how-to manual for how to think in this way. So I recommend that book strongly. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. And in fact, the other example I've just thought about is, and I know you've heard this before, Ryan, but let me tell it to other people who may or not have listened to the podcast before, if there is somebody. We were doing some work with an insurance company and the insurance company called us in to say that when customers were placing an order with them over the phone, the agent would turn around and say, your policy documents should be with you within five working days. Uh, What was happening then was the customer would be phoning back after three days and in fact, 76% of customers that had that experience were phoning back after three days and saying, where's my policy document? Mm -hmm. Now, this is the largest insurance company in the UK. So we're literally talking millions of phone calls. When we did the research, what we discovered was that the agents were saying, your policy documents should be with you in five working days. And what we asked the agent to do was to literally change the word should to will. And literally, by changing one word, they reduced the callbacks of customers from 76% down to 6% within three weeks. We've got a video on our website of the client explaining this. The point I'm trying to make is, again, huge cost savings. Oh, yeah. Okay. Amount of volume of phone calls that were coming in asking that. One small little change that didn't cost anything to implement, really, and a massive cost saving. So again, people would have heard in different podcasts that we've done how small things can have a massive effect as well. To the point of balance, again, this is an an example of, it was a small change, but it's an example of making the experience better for the customer. There was less uncertainty in the customer's part. They knew exactly what they were going to expect. And then simultaneously also reducing the cost to the company, right? So these great opportunities for benefit on both sides are are absolutely what you should be looking for. 
So number three is balance, which is I think know, we just not just did, sort of, we just did number three. I was just recapping. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were starting number three again. <laughs> no, we can do if you like, but I would imagine it's going to be a fairly boring process for the, for the people listening. But <laughs> I thought you were reading down the spreadsheet and you got, forgot what you were No, look, look. Colin, what are you? Don't tell people listening to the podcast, we've got a spreadsheet on this and we make mistakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all written down here, but I'll we still do it badly. You need me. Go ahead. <laughs> So let me recap. <laughs> so balance is basically going, you can save costs and improve your experience. Okay, we're now going to move on to number four, Ryan. Is that okay? Um, I'm not sure I'm ready. Can we <laughs> recap number three again, please? My, my uh, mistake was thinking that Colin Shaw ever makes a mistake, which we by now all know, not true, never happens. So I apologize formally. I'll send you a letter with a formal apology. <laughs> In coming days. <laughs> yeah, just do a recap at the bottom of it. <laughs> <laughs> so number four, when you're looking to cut costs and you're doing it intentionally and, you know, let's be clear, you have to cut costs, okay? It's just the way of business, basically. If you really have to cut costs and you're now starting to look at the impact upon customers, which is clearly what you should be doing, Okay. Do not just look at the impact upon customers for the next year. So the rule is, think of the impact on the lifetime value of that customer. Okay, So don't just think about the revenue that you're going to get in for the next year from that one customer, but think of the revenue that you would have got in from that customer for the next 20 years, 30 years, whatever it may be. Because that's the real number, and that's the real number that you've got to be cognizant of. And again, when you start to look at that, start to then think about the fact that when you come out of the recession and you're starting to acquire customers again, you know, what's the cost of acquisition? Mm -hmm. So you're now, you know, you're going to lose some customers by impacting the experience. You don't want to be losing your best customers what would be the cost of replacing that customer you're going to lose by that action if you didn't think of that lifetime value of them? It's a great point. Yeah. Uh, going back to your uh, Ritz-Carlton example, that amount of money that they allocate to their frontline employees where they don't need to seek management's approval, they just are automatically approved, that amount, they didn't pull that out of the air. That was based on extensive customer lifetime value calculations. They know how valuable their customers are to them over the long haul. And that's what allows them to make these kinds of decisions. If we were advising Motel 6, we would probably not suggest that they spend $2,500 per customer at the drop of a hat because there's a different lifetime value calculation involved there. Think about these long-term relationships. Know what the value of your customers are and absolutely incorporate that into your decision making to your point like don't cut costs if it's going to marginally increase the friction of interacting with your firm and therefore over multiple interactions your customers just going to say oh, it's not worth it and go somewhere else you know that's a very short-term cost-cutting strategy so if you think about a cable company we were having such a good day colin <laughs> why, why, why are you doing this to me 
But if you think about a cable company, let's assume that you're paying $150 a month, okay, 12 months in the year, over 10 years, okay, you're talking about something like $18,000. And obviously, you know, that's just over 10 years. That suddenly becomes a big number rather than just going, okay, well, we're going to lose $150 a month for 12 months. It's a much bigger number and genuinely the number that you should be that you should be looking at. There are acquisition costs too in that specific industry, right? You've got uh, new equipment that you've got. You've got to have send out service people to hook somebody up again for the first time. So when you incorporate all of these costs and all of this revenue for this customer, you should be able to allocate importance to that experience, right? And don't cut costs in such a way that it's going to drive that customer out after two or three years instead of after the natural 10-year life cycle. Yeah, good point. Let me recap on rule number four, Ryan. Thank you for the warning, Carl. (laughs) So uh, rule number four is think of the lifetime impact or the lifetime value of that customer, okay? When looking to reduce costs, don't just think about it from a shorter term. Number five is select the area that drives least value for your customers to reduce your costs in, okay? So what we mean by this is there are parts of your experience that drive value, okay, that really drive value for your for your customers, and there are other parts of your experience that don't drive so much value. What you don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. You do not wish to cut your costs and reduce your experience in the areas that drive most value for you. Now, by definition, we are therefore articulating that you need to know where those things are. Good. Okay. Yeah. For you to be able to make a choice, you've got to you've got to know where those things are and therefore select the area that doesn't. That also assumes that you know what your customers value, right? Your customers. So you need to know who your target customers are and what they value from your offering. Cause that'll be different for different groups of customers. Do you want to tell briefly the story about your decision to cancel your milk delivery service? Oh, my milk delivery service story. I like that one. Yeah. It's a good example. actually. Yeah. Back in the day in England, we used to get our milk delivered each day. Uh, Lorraine, my wife, I said to Lorraine one day, shall we not have the milk delivered anymore because we can go to the grocery store and buy it up there. And that was obviously what everybody else was doing. And she said, no, 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 Kevin comes around on a Friday night. We have a bit of a laugh and a joke together and comes around and collects his money. I'd like to keep that going. So that's what we did because I'm a dutiful husband. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Kevin left because of the decline in, in milk sales and new guy takes over. When the new guy takes over, he decides that the process needs improving. And that what he's going to do is he's not going to call around on a Friday night. He's just going to leave the amount that we owe him in an envelope. And then he's going to ask us to put a check in the envelope and put it somewhere safe. And therefore, he doesn't have to call around. And guess what? After two or three months of that experience, we decided to go to the grocery store because this is a good story to pick up on. So thank you for that. The area that drove most value which was the conversation with him on a Friday night, is the area that, that he decided to cut, which was absolutely cutting his nose off to spite his face. No, I, I think it's a great example of exactly this principle. You need to know what your customers value. Now, the Kevin's replacement 
was probably engaged in this cost-cutting thinking that, you know, time is money. And so if I can make this more efficient for some customers, they didn't need the conversation on the Friday that might've been an imposition. And so for some customers, this may have been an example of balance where he's actually reducing his costs while increasing the benefit to the customer because they appreciate the efficiency too. But for other customers, and so this gets back to knowing who your customer is and what they like, what they value. This was exactly an example of rule number five and removing something to cut costs. That is actually one of the key drivers of the value for your customers. Yep, absolutely. That for me is absolutely vital. Otherwise you get unintended consequences and suddenly you realize that you're actually worse than where you were before. And not only that, you've then got the cost of trying to replace those customers and then you've got more costs in in acquisition, et cetera. Okay, so let me run through these five rules for everybody. Just a reminder, we will be putting this in a podcast summary, which is a one sheet of paper that you can share with your team or people in your organization. Just go to our website, beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. And you'll be able to see all of the podcast summaries that we've done there, including this one. So rule number one, is when you're reducing costs, don't think that there is one silver bullet. There's not one thing that you can look at to save money. Rule number two, don't overemphasize the easy measurement measured costs. So don't just think it's, well, it comes under this heading. We've got to think much more laterally about the things that we can bring in. Rule number three, strive for balance. Okay, The balance is you can actually improve your customer experience and you can save money, okay? So try to think about it from that perspective. Rule number four, look at the lifetime value of customers, not just the short-term value of what the customer is, but look at the lifetime value of the customer. And rule number five, select the areas that drive least value for you. So don't pick the area that drives most value for you. Uh, And therefore, by definition, you need to know what those things are. So we hope that's of use. Any other pearls of wisdom, Ryan, from you? I just wanted to end by praising your recapping ability. Uh, That was was (laughs) very well done and clearly well practiced. Absolutely. It's just when you've got students that are sort of a bit remedial like yourself, then maybe you just need a bit of work on them. I'm raising my hand. You can't see it, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, this is a good list, and I hope that it'll be helpful for people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're clearly going to be going through some tough times, but tough times doesn't mean that you stop looking to improve your experience. In fact, you can improve your experience and save money. Just have that one thing resonating in your ears from this podcast. So thanks a lot, everyone, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast 
find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>